Hello friends, uh, my name is Steve and we are here today to talk all things The Hellborn King. It is going to be spoiler filled, so if you haven't read the book, don't uh, don't watch, don't listen, <laughs> come back after you've finished it. Uh, Chris, you want to give us an introduction? Oh, there's two Chris's, but since I'm in the top right position, I'll consider it's me. Um, my name is Chris Mullen, I have a YouTube channel where I sometimes make videos, but uh, occasionally have been appearing on Steve. We've just finished House of the Dragon. Uh, this week, which was which was good fun and one to get the end of. And actually, I think sort of leads into Elborn King quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And the man of the hour, Christopher G. Brenning. I am Christopher G. Brenning, author of the Hellborn King saga, uh, hiker of trails, drinker of bourbon. So good <laughs> evening to you all. <laughs> nice. And we were just talking before we went live about you know that's a it's a nice it's a chunky book. But it didn't feel like a chunky book. It read really, really easily. You think so too, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I was in a sort of one of those weird kind of, I wouldn't say a reading slump because I was still reading, but everything just felt like I was trying to force my way through it. And then I'd say after about three or four chapters of this, it was kind of like, right now, this is this is rolling off the page. And considering it's sort of thematically supposed to be heavy, it didn't read that way at all, which I think was quite unusual. It wasn't what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. I, I try to make the writing as accessible as possible and not make it overly flowery or, you know, overly mm-hmm. complicated because uh, um, if I can't read it, I don't want to write it. And so because uh, I get very burnt out quickly with reading, I, I just wanted to make it as as easy you know, to read, have it flow off the page. Well, have lots of white space on my pages. Um you know, and then, and then a nice font size and all that, all that good stuff to just make it visually appealing to the eye. And, you know, um, I try to keep the chapters fairly concise. Um, the chapters are a bit shorter in Wrathbringer, but I mean, there's a couple of chapters in Hellborn King that are like in the 10,000 word range, but I try to keep them around like four to 6,000 just so you're not, you don't feel like you're slogging through it. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the things I, you know, good short, short chapters are always great, but still, like, because I read this on, on Kindle, and you know when you check the ch- kind of chapter length, you know to see you do I read this chapter or go to sleep or do you, you know that kind of thing, and you kind of go, oh no, this is a big chapter. So you kind of have in your head, this is there's stuff going to happen in this chapter. There's a journey in this, and I, and I like those moments where you do have that variation in in length, so that you're not kind of going like we read the expanse. It's, it seems like every expanse chapter is ten pages, and you know it's never going to get too far before it kind of curtails itself and kind of goes, oh, we're going to stop you right there and then move on to something else. Uh, yeah. And that, that sort of gets frustrating after a while, whereas, you know, that mixture, I think, I think really works well for telling a, a longer form story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, and then certain characters have certain, certain uh, styles built into the chapter, um, like Lucetta, for example. Her, her is more like horror suspense. Mm-hmm. And so for suspense reading, you generally want to keep the chapters shorter sure. so, that it, yeah. so that it keeps that, that more frantic pace going. Um, you know, Madeline, I think she has the longest chapters in the book because she's got, you know, such a big story and certain characters like Damien Dreadfire are told through other characters' eyes. Yeah. So it's like sometimes I don't have a choice but to make this chapter a little longer because I'm trying to get in more of what's going on with him. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, John's here. Hey, John. Yeah, first one here. I brought hey. my lawn chair and drinks. <laughs> How's it going, John? And uh, Jeremiah, very much not a slog. Excellent. Glad to hear that. 
I guess you could call it a slurp. I <laughs> <laughs> was nice. You time drinking there, Christopher. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pretend I planned it that way. So. Yeah, uh, I anonymous is here. I'll throw I anonymous. Yeah, not yeah. a fan of overly consistent uh, book format. Yeah, and uh, the 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 prologue I think sets up what you're trying to do with the book. I think it lets you know this is the kind of story you're going to going to have. So the prologue, I, I always love a good prologue, and this one was. Kind of, I did not expect things to go the way they did, so I was like, okay, let's let's do this. Kind of like buckle in. Yeah, um, I, I really wanted to, you know, as a debut author, I really wanted to punch you in the face like right off the bat, and so so you're like, whoa, you know, this is this is the real deal, you know, this is um, this is something something a bit different because prologues are usually, you know, for cramming in excess world building or you know, I, a lot of people skip prologues just because they're 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 not necessary, but. I wanted to make mine very much useful to the story. Um, and then you go from prologue to chapter one and you're in that same space. It's just, you switch perspectives. So chapter one, which is Einar's chapter, you're catching the tail end of the battle. And I wanted to format all my battles that way, where it starts on one side and, and ends on the other. But uh, speaking to the prologue, that actually was not the original prologue. Um, oh, the, the prologue started sort of in the aftermath of the battle and I had been querying agents with that prologue. And, uh, you know, I've, I got maybe like, I don't know, 50 rejections from agents, but there was one agent who actually gave me some personalized feedback and says, you know, your writing is good. I just think you're starting in the wrong place. And so I was like, okay, well, why, why don't I try redoing this? So I threw out about 80% of the prologue and rewrote it in two days. And what you see in Hellborn King is what I came up with. And I like getting that little bit of feedback and, and starting it off where I started it, where it's still in sort of the aftermath, but it's, you know, it, you know, you got, you got, um, you know, these, these two guys, they brought their army out. They're looking at the site of a massacre, trying to figure out what's going on. And so like suspense, like right off the bat, lots of questions that need to be answered. So uh, I, I had a blast writing it. And um, it, I think it's some, some of my, my best work, dare I say. Yeah, it must create because it is universally talked about. Obviously, Christopher, anybody that's read it talks about the prologue and a couple of things about it. One, nobody ever says what it is exactly to like about the prologue, you know. So I, I kind of have it in my head what I think, and I assume that everybody else likes the same thing about it. But for me, it's it's very much setting up that kind of in the face of death, man's true nature comes out you know, of, mm. of who they are, you know, it's not really the end of it. It's like, I'm going to be this person, but actually when it comes to it, and it kind of follows through the rest of the book, this kind of son of the successful general kind of person is not their father. Uh, and their kids are not their father. And actually they're not the ones that, that did the great deeds. They live on the result of, of what somebody did beforehand. And actually mm. that kind of sniveling kind of bit of pleading was like, that's not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> well, I mean, you're he not. was defiant up until the point where he knew yeah. he's like, I'm dying and there's no way I'm getting out of this. Yeah, and then, but... you know, his, his resolve kind of breaks. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, like it starts off, it starts off, you know, a little bit of mystery, a lot of questions. And then uh, I sprinkle in a little bit of world building in between the dialogues. So you're getting to know the characters and everything. And just when you're starting to get to know them, Bang! The ambush happens, and there's 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 death and chaos everywhere. And I really uh, let's see. Uh, so, uh, one person told me I completely pulled the rug out from underneath them, 
Uh, another friend of mine said that their their younger son who was reading it, uh, I actually made him cry because he was getting to like the character so much. Yes. <laughs> got him. Yep, got yeah. him. You know, Hopefully they were very young. <laughs> yeah, scarred for life. Yep. Yeah. But I thought, okay, this is our main character in this this battle, and oh, he's gonna survive. And then no, it didn't go that way. No. Yep. Yep. And, and uh, we'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to get into some more things later after you guys read Wrathbringer, because like I'm I'm trying not to give away too much now in this stream. So. <laughs> but that, that that was gonna be one of my questions. Without having read Wrathbringer, looking at myself and Steve have said like I was determined not to start it because if I had it, kind of going, oh will I start it? And thought no, it'll just I'll run out of questions because I'll know the answers if if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, it must have made writing the prologue for Wrathbringer very, you know, pressurized, challenging, all that kind of stuff to kind of to kind of meet that expectation. Absolutely, I was uh, I, I was stressing out about it because I'm like, man, you know, I wrote this really cool prologue that a lot of people like how do i one up it or, or, or how do i even match it like i'd be okay with just matching it and so i it, it took me a, a long time to finish that one but uh I, i'm kind of getting my 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 style and my flow together now because i wrote the prologue for book three in two days right okay so wow. <laughs> yeah it's it, it's it's coming along but yeah i mean that that prologue you know, I have it up for free on my website. Um, I have the audio version of it free on my YouTube channel. You can check it out if you haven't yet. And I think it's going to hook you right off the bat. I, mm. I think it's I think it's going to hook you, and it's going to give you a good sense of what to expect throughout the the whole rest of the book. Nice. And uh, I anonymous said yes. Uh, yeah, the prologue was great. Thank you. And Jeremiah says sets the mood perfectly. And poor Cedric. <laughs> well, well, you know. Uh, Poor Cedric only to a certain point because yeah. you know he he he's not a man without sin himself and you know yeah. he was he was the man uh, responsible for for the bloodbath at Borgifa which is a mystery which is going to be kind of drip fed out throughout the series you're going to find out more and more of what happens that's going to give you a better perspective of motivations why the war started more you know it might give you a little better idea of who's right and who's wrong yeah yeah, I want to touch on that here in a second, uh, but just go through these a uh, couple of comments. Um, that switch from defiance to pleading went to pleading when the realization that death was coming was good. Thank you. And uh, I anonymous agrees. Yes, poor sister. <laughs> and John, uh, hail Christopher Brenning, hail to the hosts. Thanks for coming, hey, by John. <laughs> and I think a, a running theme in in the story is is because um, you hear different sides of this battle and the and what happens, and the people who who were there, they're kind of just, they were following orders. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a theme is that they, they didn't really have control. They were just doing what they were told. And if you look through history, that happens a lot. I mean, people yeah. do some awful things just because they're, they're following orders and they don't really stop to think about it. I think having, um, is it Inar? No, slightly, Inar. Inar. I always get names wrong. Having him as the kind of the, the conscience a little bit, I think he's, he's almost like our eyes in, in the book because we're, mm -hmm. he has a sense of, uh, you know, he has, are we going too far? Are we becoming what we're fighting? I think that's his character was a nice little, uh, a way for us to balance that out. Yeah. He, um, his character originally started off with a different name and, and totally different personality and motivations. Originally when I was first planning out the book, the barbarians were, you know, I mean, they were just like a caricature of themselves. They were just trying to one up each other and see who could be the most brutal, this and that. And then I was just like, you know, this 
this is just really stale. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not jiving with this. And so I, I threw out that first chapter and rewrote a bunch of it. And I was like, what if, what if, because the barbarians are always supposed to be the bad guys, right? So I was like, what if I put a character in that is like the noble savage, you know, the the, the pious one, the one, the one who's here out of a sense of duty to, you know, um, to his tribe, to his people, to the neighboring tribes, you know, that, that they're close with. And, you know, he, he's torn between that sense of duty and, and not agreeing with the levels of brutality that are being, you know, perpetrated on the battlefield in the name of vengeance. And so each chapter, you just kind of get to see him break down a little bit more until the point where at the very end, he's just like, I got to walk away from this. I'm literally losing my soul over it. Yeah. He, he was my favorite character in the, in the book because he's presented as, as a warrior and as a chieftain, nearly almost uh, uh, that he's done it all his life. And then he, you find it that he's basically just a craftsman. And it's actually building the craft of a war machine that makes him realize who he is at the heart of it. I, I love that that resolution of his character where he kind of, it's only in building the ultimate war machine that he kind of goes, actually, my role in this is done and I've caused enough mm-hmm. death and destruction in, in my own right. And you kind of see the, the ordinary man and not the one that's been touched by the violence, you know, so severely like Damien has, for instance. Mm, yeah, you're the first person that's ever kind of really pointed that out um and yeah that's true uh, I, I try to give most all of my characters something that they love to do outside the plot like einar he's a craftsman he, he he loves to work with his hands he loves to build things and then exactly like you said it's that realization that you know i went from building you know great halls and and, and all these you know beautiful things and now here i built something ugly i built something that's just bringing death this isn't who i am and then and looking at that and then especially when he when when he has to torch it at, after the battle's over so that the machine doesn't fall into enemy hands, he's just like, "What what is this all for?" Yeah. And and that's really when he makes it up in his mind that all right, I'm done, I'm leaving. Yeah, and he sort of realizes that war begets war. You know, you keep on fighting, you cause more destruction, more murder. Like when the ultimate massacre of the the people within the fort when they played for their lives and. And they're just butchered. He kind of goes, "This is just great in the next generation or the next battle further on down the line." And what, what the hell are we doing? You know? Yeah, that's ex- that's exactly right. And that's that's what I was hoping to, to go for in the storytelling. And I'm uh, I'm glad I'm glad you you picked up on that. Cool. And our friend Layla's here. I'm listening. I haven't Layla. read the book yet, but spoilers are okay. I I like listening to Christopher's experience writing the book. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Uh, you know, anybody out there who who has questions, you know, wh- whether you're just starting out or you've been around the block a few times, you know, feel feel free to ask me. You can hit me up on Twitter or my website or whatever and be happy to help anybody because I made so many mistakes writing this book. <laughs> so many mistakes because, I mean, you can watch all the YouTube videos in the world and, and, and you can DM people and, and try to pick up, you know, little tips and tricks in there. But you really got to just go through it in order to know you know what's right you know like am i doing something right here or something wrong and and so yeah you know any help i can be to anybody feel free feel free to ask uh, jeremiah commented uh in is a bit like floki from vikings yeah actually that wasn't that wasn't a comparison i was consciously trying to draw but yeah i can i can see that i mean at the end of the day characters are all archetypal you know 100 percent yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like I've had pe- some people tell me that uh, uh, 
Titan reminds him of the Hound from Game of Thrones, and that wasn't really my intention with that character to have like my own version of the Hound. But I'm like, I'm thinking about him, like, yeah, I can, I can see why people might think that the foul language and just you know, kind of just not caring about anything anymore. But I wanted to give him depth to it, like you know, I he's he's been through battle after battle, and he's seen every single person he ever you know was cool with and cares about die, and you know, he's just disenfranchised. He's wondering, you know, like. What's this all for? You know, what, like, like, what am I even doing here? And he's just having that crisis of conscience, and he he copes with it through through alcohol, through abusing people around him. Um, and he he was uh, he was a character I actually added in sort of last minute. Hmm. I I he he wasn't on my original sheet of characters I wanted to have. Um, I came up with him during that scene when Madeline is uh you know at Castle Thorn. She's trying to rally whoever they got. She's just trying to scrape together a team. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And just the name popped in my head. And then I just got this idea, this just this huge gruff guy who can really just butt heads with her. And I just kind of explored that and ended up blossoming into what it is. And now he's on the cover of book two. (laughs) (laughs) That's the that's one of the really interesting things. And one of those things that makes me think, God, I could never be a writer, like especially (laughs) like a book like this is that multi POV. Right, mm-hmm. I'd be afraid anything more than two character POV is going to be impossible to follow, and yet you had a multi POV story and thought, "Here's another one," and and make it work. You you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That I, that would be a thought process that I don't think I would ever get my head round. Uh, as far as being able to do that, being able to follow it. Yeah, uh, conventional wisdom from what I've heard for for new authors is if you're going to write a book, especially a fantasy book, don't go with more than two POVs because <laughs> You know, you're just starting out, you know, it, it, it can get very messy very quickly. Um, yeah. So I, I, I plotted the first one out fairly well. I still wanted to leave enough wiggle room to, to add, you know, just a creative idea that just like like Titan, for example, who it was just an idea. I left room in the, the plotting for it. But um, I wanted everything to revolve sort of like a sort of like a strand of DNA revolving around the central plot of the mm-hmm. conflict. And then what I wanted to do to try to breathe more life into it is, is, is stack layers and layers of conflict. So you have the big external conflict, the big war between the barbarians and the kingdom. Then I wanted to have some more internal conflict, like the barbarians. Some of these tribes don't get along. In fact, like, you know, with the Zomacians, they are age-old enemies of the Northmen. But, you know, through, through haggling and through realizing that, hey, this is, this is kind of for the greater good, if, you know, enemy enemy of my enemy they get together but there's still a lot of conflict there and then you also have characters internal conflicts inside their head like lucetta is a perfect example of that she's just nothing but conflict in her head (laughs) (laughs) and so i wanted to do that and and just stack these different layers of conflict to just give the story a lot of depth and 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 make it so that i just never really run out of things to write about because there's always something going on Hmm. yeah we have a comment from Aaron. Hey, everyone listening to the prologue, bumped this series up my TBR, finished Hellborn King in a day, and I'm holding off on Wrathbringer until after today's chat. Yeah, so are we. Are we been holding off? <laughs> a day. It's been, it's been tough. Wow, that's a, a day. That's day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And our friend Tori from Tori Talks is here. Hi, everyone. I haven't read the book yet, but it's on my TBR. Question for Christopher. What does your outline process look like on a scale of spreadsheets or to non-existent? Uh, I open a Word document and I just kind of just write it out. I, I'm not a spreadsheet guy. I don't know how to use Excel, which don't tell my boss that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really bad with Excel. So I just go into Word and um, like for the Hellborn King, I had one page that was just a list of characters and their their, their physical description. I guess their hair color, their eye color, you know, their height, you know, just so I can get a, a vision in my head of what they are. All the names, I, I broke it down by faction. And then I had a separate page with um, my, my chapter lists. And so I had it broken out into three acts. You know, your first, second, third act. And then uh, I have just very rough, like one sentence chapter descriptions, like this character does that or um, battle happens or aftermath of battle or just something like that. So I know, OK, this is the general theme of this chapter, but um, I just keep it very basic. I try not to I try not to plan too far into the future because um if I tell myself the story too much in my own head, by the time it comes to actually write it down, I'm bored with it. <laughs> and then I really struggle. And I'm looking on my phone and I'm on YouTube or Twitter. And I'm just trying to find like any excuse not to write because I already know what's going to happen in my head. So I, I just like to leave it as, as open as I possibly can. Yes. And uh, Jeremiah, uh, at least that is who I pictured in my head. And yeah, I agree about Titan and the Hound, but Titan's journey is a bit different. Than yes. That. Yes, I didn't. I didn't picture him in the hind, but I seen that comment about the hind. I went, like, yeah. I mean, I can see it for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's archetypal. You know, like yeah. there's always there's always characters that are going to be like that. But yeah, his his journey is uh, first. It's reluctance, but then, and, and and this is kind of giving a little bit of a spoiler away for Wrathbringer, but not much. But you can kind of see this in in Hellborn King, where where it starts to go towards more like a redemption arc. Yeah, but then you have the fall of Morden and just this this crushing sense of failure that comes over him. Uh, and um, one of the unique things I wanted to do with him is I wanted him to have a very close relationship with Madeline that wasn't uh, romantic in any way. I just wanted them to be friends, and she doesn't look at him in any sort of way. He doesn't look at her any sort of way. They're just soldiers, and their bond is on the battlefield. And, and to me, you know, because there's all sorts of friendships in the book. You have Einar and Damien. You have uh, Sir Edmund and Gareth. You have Madeline and Titan. Madeline and Titan is my favorite combination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just because originally he's he's just very gruff and he's just like, oh, you know, you're just a stupid girl and this and that. But then, you know, he, he, he starts to become protective over her as, you know, the only friend he has left in the world, basically. Yeah, it's it's that dual thing of, you know, it is who he is as a person, and, he, and he's forgotten that in all of the loss. And I know I put this in a very short uh, wrap up of this, but it's this idea of PTSD. I think throughout the book, mm -hmm. you know, that that an awful lot of the characters are suffering from PTSD in some way, and then lose the sense of themselves because of it. Absolutely, I try I try to as tastefully as possible address a lot of mental health issues in the book: mm -hmm. um, depression, alcoholism, PTSD. Um, depending on your theory, schizophrenia or something yeah. like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, and I, and I tried to do it tastefully. Um, the biggest challenge to do tastefully was uh, Madeline's last chapter, yeah. which everybody, oh, yeah. everybody who's read the book talks about that. Uh, thankfully, I haven't gotten uh, raked over the coals for it because I try to keep as much of it off the page as possible. Um, originally, when I was first planning out the book, she was supposed to die in book one. Hmm. Right. That was like my original, like like one of my first ideas for for the characters. Like, okay, well, she's gonna die in book one, but then I'm just like, no, it, like like she has a much bigger story to tell here. But 
when it came down to it, she gets captured. I'm like, all right, well, how the hell does she get out of this? Because I don't want any of my characters to have plot armor whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You suffer the consequences of what's coming your way. So I was like, okay, so she can get out of it, but she's not really going to get out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And okay. I I, I kind of knew as I was writing the scene that it was heading in this direction, and I didn't want to do it because I love the character, and I didn't want to have her suffer like that, but it, it just kind of led to this conclusion, and I decided... I could be shocking. I could I could really be controversial and, and upset a lot of people, but I decided I'm just going to imply it and keep as much of that off the page as, as I possibly can. I think it was more impactful not having a lot of detail, just kind of, you know, general idea. I think we could all fill in the blanks, but I think that made it more impactful not, not knowing every little detail. We know what happens, but it wasn't a, you know, you get too much into detail and then it becomes something else, you know. Right. And I didn't want to permanently turn people off from the series, you know, because you get to that and it's like one of the last things you're going to read in the book. And I don't want people to arrive at that and say, oh, you know, I, I, I can't I can't go on with this. So, I mean, I wanted to do as tastefully as possible and still keep it in the spirit of what I'm trying to build, where if you make a mistake or, or if something bad is coming your way, you're not you're not getting out of it. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, John's comment was, Chris's best quality is making sure the connective tissue of hope is ever-present and the story doesn't devolve into torture porn. Yeah, uh, John, um, his his review of Hellborn King was really great. And he he was the one of the first ones, maybe one of the only ones I've heard, that really pointed out that, yes, this is a grimdark book. And grimdark is known for being bleak and depressing and, and hopeless. But in my series, there are... People are driven by hope. They don't give up because there's hope that they can make it through. There's hope that they can better themselves and and, and tomorrow will be a new day. And I I very much try to keep that, albeit more in the background, but I do try to keep hope as a driving factor for so many characters, even really screwed up characters like Lucetta. Like she... She, she, she's got a lot of issues, but she's driven by this hope of, you know, even though it's more like a false hope that, Hey, I can save the day here, but I'm going to have to get my hands dirty to do it. So even a character like that is, is really driven by, by a sense of hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeremiah had a comment. Chris did POVs really well and we get to know the characters and it wasn't confusing at all. Well, thank you. I, I try to give everybody a distinct personality and voice and then i think titling the chapters the way i title them really helps too because yeah, there's no guessing there's no guessing who you're reading it's it, it's gareth it's titan it's you know you, you're automatically in the headspace of that character yeah uh, and aaron said the multi-pov for how each character weaved in and is what i think made it such a quick read well thank you thank you mm-hmm. and our friend matt is here from matt on books <laughs> hey matt hey matt uh, Tori, with so with multiple POVs, how do you keep each character's voice distinct and authentic? Good question. Oh, um, I think I think what helps with that is I, I try to put little pieces of myself in the characters. Um, uh, full disclosure, Gareth is, is kind of um, I wouldn't say a full author insert, but a lot of authors will insert themselves as characters, and they're the, they're the cool guy. They're they're. They're the guy everybody loves, and he can he can do no wrong, and he saves the day. Where I was like with Gareth, why don't I why don't I put all my negative traits into him, like and exaggerate them, blow them up. So like the depression, the drinking, the the low self esteem. It's like okay, 
I can I can relate with that. So I'm going to take it and magnify it. And then his journey is going to be overcoming these things that I've had to overcome in my life. And then, you know, um, Einar, I would say, is my uh, my conscious, my, my, my sense of justice and what's right and wrong. So that's very easy to draw on. Um, Damien, even though you don't get to see through his eyes, he's like sort of like my anger, like blind anger that that, that, that you have to keep in check. But for him, it, it, it's just slowly starting to consume him. So, and then each character, I mean, like Sir Edmund is actually a character based on my best friend, Tom. And uh, the interactions that Gareth and, and Edmund have are actually based on some interactions I've had with him at various low points in my life and various advice he's given me. So, And then other characters are sort of mishmash amalgamations of, of, of various people I've known, again, archetypes. So just kind of having all that set in my head, it's, it's pretty easy for me to keep it all straight. That's interesting about Gareth because <laughs> I can't stand him. He's a snivelly, weasley, you know. <laughs> it's a bit like it's a bit like a couple of other characters because he's a representation of myself as well. I think that's why he's like the worst mm. part of me, and I'm like, I really, I really like or dislike how woeful you are because mm. that could have been me in that same situation. And it's like I don't like reading that, and you ha you sort of have no redemption in my eyes because you're already pathetic. Yeah, well, you'll, you'll you'll have to read Wrathbringer. Oh, that's um, that's that's yeah. the point. <laughs> but but yeah, you know, I'm, it, it's interesting to me how how everybody has a different take on the character. Like mm -hmm. everybody has a different take on the characters. Some people really like Gareth, and 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 they they like his journey and how he's he's finding himself and and, and stepping into manhood, even though you know he's about ten years late to the party. <laughs> um, I have other friends who really like Lucetta, and I know people who absolutely cannot stand Lucetta one bit. I. I like people who who think like like John who thinks that Madeline is one of the, as he said, one of the best written female characters mm. that he's ever read. And then I've had other people say that they can't stand her because mm. she's just like a, I don't know, she, maybe not quite a Mary Sue, but she's just like obnoxious in certain ways. So it's like it's very fascinating for me to hear all these different takes on, on these characters, and it really makes me feel, uh, uh validated that I I. I represented them well enough that people can have this sort of diverse opinion on them. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where you look at and you go, but everybody projects something on the every book that they ever read. You know, nobody goes in with a completely blank slate. The anything they consume, watch, read mm -hmm. at all. So, you know, it's cool. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, Tori said, by the way, I love the outline thoughts. I'm similar. And it's nice to hear someone else who writes more flexibly. Mm-hmm. Flexibly, sometimes chaotically. <laughs> I do like to, <laughs> I do like to skip around. So sometimes I'll be doing a chapter in Act One, and then just a, 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 an image, a scene will pop into my head from Act Three, and then I'll just skip ahead and go right. And sometimes it gets me into trouble because as I'm wrapping up Act One, Act Two, all of a sudden it's like, well, this isn't going the way I originally intended. Now I got to go back and change it. But still, I mean, I I, I skip around a lot and. Uh, I'm glad that I haven't uh, uh, screwed anything up colossally by doing that. So, <laughs> And uh, Jeremiah had a question that I, I thought of when I was reading, which is, uh, did you base the Bethers or, uh, or anything specific on anything specific in history? I got the Normandy vibes from their story. Nothing specific in history. Some of it um, is through personal experience, actually, uh, certain family dynamics. 
And that was a little bit of inspiration that I drew on to try to create something positive out of something that's very negative. So that that's more where that inspiration came from than anything historical. And our friend uh, Bryce Michelle centered us here. Absolutely love the Hubber and King and people like John and Mike on Twitter really helped me get into it. Oh, thanks, Bryce. Uh, I'm still looking forward to that interview for that uh, review of the book. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad. I'm really glad you liked it, Bryce. I was, I was really waiting for you to read that one for a while. I was like, because you know, I've been been following him for a while on Twitter. He does great work. So yeah, yeah, great to have you here. And our friend John is here. Hello, I made it. I agree, yep. Christopher. It makes sense that hope exists. Otherwise, the characters would lose motivation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Bryce says, I love this discussion on hope. It's absolutely true. I forgot it was grimdark until something grimdark happened. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I didn't want to go too over the top with the blood guts and, and, and all that other stuff. I mean, there there are a few scenes, especially in Nightmares, where it's, you know, it's, it's blood and, and fire and dripping flesh and all this, all this stuff. So I, you know, I, I did want, I did still want to keep it, keep it grim dark, but I, I didn't want to go overboard to the point where you're, you're literally nauseated reading it. So yeah, yeah. it's happened. Uh, Jeremiah says Gareth's relationship with his mother, I found very touching. It hit me because my mom passed away recently and she was a bit like Charlotte in some ways. Yeah. Sorry to hear Char that, Jeremiah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And, and Charlotte is also loosely based on my mother as well. So I'm glad I'm glad that you could uh, you could see those sorts of things in that character because that was a very special character to me. Mm -hmm. uh, Aaron, I really I really enjoyed that you occasionally got the thoughts of the character and their hopes often shined through there. Mm -hmm. And what what I also like to do is um, you're you're in you're in the thoughts of the character a lot, and I put those in italics. So you can tell yeah. that this is something that the character's thinking. And sometimes what they're thinking isn't always what they're saying. Like, like they can say one thing, like Matt Madeline's a good example. She projects a lot of confidence, but there's a lot of insecurity going on in her head. A lot, a lot of second guessing, yeah. a lot of self-doubt, but on the outside, it's, oh, you know, I'm a badass. I can conquer any challenge that comes my way. I don't need anybody to help me. I can do it all myself. But then in her head, it's a very different story. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, is, is, is it going to be a trilogy or are you planning uh, for more books? Uh, so far, I'm planning on five in the series, mm. looking at doing a prequel and then maybe like a three book spinoff is what I have planned. And that the spinoff will be in the future after the events of the, the saga. Okay. So I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jeremiah said I liked all the characters. I liked all of the characters except Damien, of course. I like Damien. I, I can see why people would dislike him just because of his his brutality and all that. Mm -hmm. uh, Damien is actually the character I'm most intimately familiar with. When I first started getting into writing as a hobby back in 2003, um, let's see, I came up with his character. I think 2004, 2005. So I so right. I know the character very well. Uh, he he's evolved a bit over the years, and when I first came up with him, he was in a different setting. He was more like in a modern setting with the storytelling that, that I was doing at the time. So I kind of transposed him more into this like medieval type of setting. But uh, yeah, uh, he he's uh, he's probably my favorite character to write, and he's also one of the more difficult mm. ones because because of the way he speaks. 
like he doesn't use any sort of contractions when he speaks. So I, so I have to like, like when I'm writing him, I'm like, okay, how do I make him say this line without it sounding dumb or like, like, like how, like just his actions, he's very calculating and he's, um, he, he knows a lot more than he lets on. And that's going to be explored a bit more in, in later books, why that is. And Aaron said, uh, there's a character for everyone to dislike and enjoy. And also <laughs> has a question, which authors have influenced your writing? Do you, do you think Christopher uh, certainly got some vibes? Would be interested to see if I was correct. Um, I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this, but I've already, I've already said it a few times. I actually don't do a whole lot of reading at all. Um, I've read very few books um, because I just have an overactive mind. Like, I, like I'll be sitting there reading a book and I can only get a couple of pages before it, it's almost like, just like anxiety in a way. Like, like I have to put it down. Like, I, like I, I just start getting like flustered yeah. and overwhelmed with it. Um, I did do the audiobook thing for a while when I was, uh, working at my last job. Um, I had, I had so much time during the day to do audiobooks. So I listened to uh, Song of Ice and Fire, George R. R. Martin, uh, First Law, Joe Abercrombie. Um, started getting into Sanderson a little bit. Um, I'm about halfway through Name of the Wind. So that's really all I'm familiar with. That's interesting. I have a son who loves to write, will not read at all. And it's it's like a disconnect in my head, you know. But but again, just wakes up full of ideas for stories and just mm-hmm. would write continually all day every day, mm-hmm. with with no no problem whatsoever. And I'm like, this is bizarre. I just can't I can't identify <laughs> with that at all. So it's interesting that you're the same, Christopher. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, so if anything, I write unintentionally rips somebody else off. Uh, just yeah. know, full disclosure, uh, it wasn't intentional because I don't read. <laughs> <laughs> But in a way, I think it kind of gives me a little bit of an advantage too, because yeah. you know, I, I'm not I'm not so overwhelmed with other people's ideas and stuff that it kind of you know contaminates what I'm doing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. true. And Bryce is going to film that review today. Awesome. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah said I found uh, Hellborn King on Steve's channel. Actually, was uh, the last time Chris was on, I bought the books. Oh, cool. Well, thank yeah. you very much for the support. I'm glad. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. And Jeremiah had a question. So, wait, is Dell Haven the Dells? The Dell, uh, being from Wisconsin, so there's uh, there's this place called Wisconsin Dells. Actually, no, it wasn't intended that way. I, I'm really bad with names. Really bad. Like, I can remember a face endlessly, but names I really struggle with, and I struggle to come up with names and. Sometimes I'll just be jumbling some mishmash around in my head and just like, duh, duh, duh. and if something sounds interesting, I'll write it down and then I'll just try to piece other words. So Del Haven was just something that just kind of, I just came up with. I, I don't know how I did it. It's just, it was like, oh, thank God I came up with a name. Now I just got to come up with like 20 more. <laughs> well, all the names, I, I struggle a lot with fantasy character names that are really long and really like complicated so thank you for keeping them simple and <laughs> for sure straightforward i i tried to still give them a fantasy feel to it mm-hmm. um i did have a friend of mine who um during beta reading was like you know some of these character names they just sound a little too modern you, know, you might want to spice them up a little bit and make them sound more fantasy-esque so 
I went, I went back and, and adjusted a few names here and there, but uh, yeah, I, I try to still give it that, that, that fantasy feel to where, you know, characters have a bit more exotic names, but I didn't want them to be like that long, yeah. you know? Yeah. Sure. Or, or, or spelled so so ridiculously that you have to have like a glossary at the end of the book where it's, it's like phonetically it's telling you the the you know the pronunciation of the character name. <laughs> yeah, there's there's going to be little variation of how people pronounce your names, and if they're running to you to be going, who who are you talking about? Because right, you've yeah, kind of different pronunciation of it, you know. And that's fair enough. I mean, it's yeah. I'm not going to get all pissy if somebody mispronounces a character name because hey, that's that's perfectly fine. And what <laughs> the idea for the for the wagon with the severed heads? Where did that come from? Is that something that just came to you in the moment, or was that planned? Uh something just well, you know, I wanted to in order to provoke this this military response by by Cedric. It's like okay, so the barbarians are going to have to do something pretty pretty ghastly to kind of draw him out mm -hmm. from his castle, and so I was like. Well, why don't they just send this wagon of severed heads back to the castle? It's a, I don't know, it just just kind of popped in my head in the moment. It seemed like a, seemed like a pretty shocking thing to do. They would they would provoke a an irrational response, and they, they they accomplished that. Got their attention for sure. Definitely. It's well, a great and, scene and, for. I was gonna say it's a great scene for a TV TV adaptation of it someday too. Yeah, absolutely, and and. <laughs> You know, Cedric's son was out there leading that patrol, so mm -hmm. that 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 was another reason for let's make yeah. this as shocking as possible, so that he said he comes and tries to, tries to save his son, and it ended mm -hmm. up working in their favor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that whole that whole scene with Cedric pushing his men and the horses and everybody to the point where they're all exhausted, you just knew that something bad doesn't happen. <laughs> it's like this isn't going to oh, work yeah, out well sure. for him. Because they kept trying to tell him, we're tired, we need to rest. If we can't fight, if we find anyone anyway, so let's just slow down. And he was determined and didn't work out mm -hmm. too well for him. Yeah, I, I had some people tell me that, you know, oh, that that whole thing of driving your soldiers too hard, like like past the point, like, oh, that, oh that's unrealistic. Like, like, like that wouldn't happen. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I, I, I sort of based that whole progression off of an actual battle. I, I can't remember the name of the battle, but um, it, it's sort of, uh, loosely adapted in the movie Kingdom of Heaven, where where the Crusaders, you know, they feel that they're unstoppable and they go out into the desert without mm -hmm. water provisions, and then they end up suffering the consequences. So I, I use that particular battle. I cannot remember the name of it. It's sort of an inspiration for the motivation of, of pushing on when you really know you shouldn't because you're just so hell bent on vengeance that you can't see you you can't see common sense. You know, the, his officers were, were protesting and saying, uh, sir, we need to stop because, you know, if we get attacked now, we're, we're, we're screwed. We're dead. And he's just like, just, just so blinded by vengeance that it ends up costing him. And I try to give each character sort of a, uh, a singular negative trait. Uh, so like Cedric's is blind vengeance. Madeline's is blind ambition. Hmm. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. Like every every character has has a certain negative trait that drives them forward, in addition to the positive traits. Nice blind ambition, I get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tori said, "Well, I'm intrigued. I just downloaded the book. <laughs> hope you awesome. enjoy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it. Hope we don't. Well, we're spoiling everything, so hopefully yeah. it doesn't take away from <laughs> your uh, your experience." Uh, Aaron said, yeah, "Interesting indeed. Do you feel anything influences your story ideas? P.S. I get hints of." 
He sung it us in fire in first law, but overall the story stands out. Uh, influencing story ideas. Not, not really. Um, the first two books I kind of wrote in my head when I was, for, when I first decided, Hey, I'm going to write a book. Um, and so I was just, you know, kind of getting an idea in my head of, of what I wanted this to look like. I knew I wanted to have a big war at the center of it. Mm-hmm. Everything else just kind of came naturally. And in a way, the story is just sort of telling itself, but, um, I'm a huge fan of movies, uh, especially, uh, you know, like medieval type movies, action adventure. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure there's little parts of that that's that's influenced me along the way, but nothing specifically I can point to and say like, yeah, like uh, I'm a clone of this or like I'm writing something that, that that's competing with that. You know, it, it it comes organically to me. But if it's if it's similar to something else, you know, like Song of Ice and Fire, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And speaking of a song in Ice and Fire, of Ice and Fire, Chris, you made this comment earlier about because it's still fresh in our minds, House of the Dragon and the, and the family drama. What did you, what did you pull from that in this one, the family drama stuff? Yeah. So again, this succession line of succession and actually the feelings of the kids in either not being prepared or not being ready to seize the throne and the problems that that then causes. You know, like obviously Gareth, Lucetta, and Trace. Is like a non-event at the moment, but still obviously a very prominent member of that family in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Gareth knowing that he's supposed to step up, and then obviously dealing with the, the problems that he has with it, but then just drinking and just not not knowing who he is, I think is pretty much mm-hmm. the, the the classic male trope of like I'm a useless human being until a certain age of life until I figure it out. And then Lucetta's mm-hmm. sort of I mean her her ambition, but also her narcissist side of herself you know where she just feels that she is more important and mm-hmm. feels that she's the person best place to do it um even though she's not aware of who she is as a person either uh, it's mm-hmm. very like house of dragon and a lot of the people that would be king there or see themselves in a in a play, place that people with very poor understanding of who they are so, uh, uh, I well find i to be very clear i have not seen house of dragon yet yeah so i i, I cannot speak to it so uh, don't spoil anything because I do I do eventually want to watch it, but I, I I wanted to give it at least a full season before I got invested mm-hmm. in it because I got I got so burned by Game of Thrones <laughs> season eight. I I, just, I, I I hated it so much, man. I hate, but in in a way, I owe I owe Game of Thrones season eight for for me wanting to write a book because because when it was over, I'm like, my God, this is terrible, and I was like, you know, <laughs> I was like, you know, if I feel I can do better. Why don't I give it a try? I want to write a book. I've always wanted to do something like that, and so I, I used I, I used that as as bad as it was. I I used Game of Thrones season eight as my main motivating factor for writing Elborn King. So, hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I want to give House of the Dragon maybe maybe another season before I before I get into it, and I'll I'll end up binging the whole thing. But I hear very good things. I hear very good things so far. Tremendous, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John says I think it's an asshole author who doesn't get ang- who gets angry when if someone mispronounces a name. Yeah, yeah. not too good. Well, especially in the fantasy genre, like like you're gonna mispronounce a name at some point, you know. Oh yeah, I do it all the time. Uh, Aaron said, "Interesting." Uh, yes, TV adaptation. And John said, uh, that, "That's when you know you have done character work well, Christopher. When characters have different motivations and desires." something you did really well. Well, thanks John. I'm going to have to 
gonna have to get it your book. I don't know if you have an audio book for that. I think that's the only way I'm really gonna be able to to read it, unfortunately, because like I said, I, I just can't read, man. My mind just short circuits and overloads. And <laughs> I mean, there's books sitting in my living room that I that I I've barely read just because I can't. And then it's like, well, I've forgotten everything I've read, so now if I want to read this, I gotta start over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Tori talks that it doesn't with Grimdark. I tend to be more picky. So the conversation around the book actually helps me want to read it more. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so the spoilers. Mm -hmm. And uh, Aaron really enjoyed the siblings dynamics. That, that was drawn a little bit on, on some personal experience too. Um, I'm the oldest of four and when do siblings ever get along? And I, I've had a very uh, interesting family dynamic over the years. And so I, di I, didn't, I didn't want to explicitly put like one of my family members in the book. Aside from the queen, that was kind of a tribute to my mother and some of the challenges that, that, that she had to overcome. But as far as my siblings go, I didn't put them in the book, but some of those interactions, some of the rivalry and, and just some of the, you know, some of the things that they that they experience and and, and the, the butting of heads and everything that I have experience with. And so I wanted to, I wanted to put that in the book and, and just kind of draw from that experience. And John said, no audiobook yet, but I'm hopeful for future. That shit's expensive. Yeah. Very expensive. Uh, it, well, I did, I did a royalty share agreement with my, with my narrator. Uh, so for, so for the life of the book, he gets, he gets half of what, my cut of the royalty is and then it was like 2500 bucks so i mean it's not not cheap but also not not absurdly expensive either mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yeah. and john adds uh, game of thrones season eight plus covid and it, an overwhelming surge of new authors yep yep <laughs> yep I, I i am one of them <laughs> and jeremiah had a question is marcellus the hellborn king is knowing the answer to that question a spoiler for future books you know, you are only the second person, Jeremiah, that has ever asked who who is the Hellborn King, and I I can't I can't get into that. Uh, <laughs> I can't get into that. I just assumed because there's a cover with a character and the Hellborn King emblazoned right across his feet that that was not. Well, a maybe it is, part, but, yeah, but maybe, maybe like... it could be. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's that. Maybe it's something else, or maybe I just yeah. want to stir up some controversy and get people talking. On it, so I'll just be I'll, I'll just be vague <laughs> about it. <laughs> I, I always thought it was someone from the past who set these events in motion. That's kind of what I'm leaning towards, but maybe I'm wrong. But don't don't tell us. But that's kind of what I had yeah. in my mind. Uh, I am working on I am working on a prequel to the series, so um, it, it will it will take place just before the bloodbath at Borgifa. So you'll you'll get a better idea of how it started. But at the same time, it's also going to be one of those things where well. Yeah, this person did that. They're bad. They did this. They're bad. Great. Like, like I don't know who the good guy is. You know? So it, it's still gonna it's still gonna have a little bit of that. But you're gonna get a better idea of, of what what caused the the war to break out. Yeah. Good work, Jeremiah, and teasing out a bit of a, a bit of a story <laughs> to follow, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the, it, I think the the addition of Lucetta and the woman in black had a it was a nice break from the combat and the the military stuff because they added another layer of um you know what could be you know, like mystery or uh, even horror yeah uh i actually i was this close to cutting lucetta because you know she she right <laughs> she 
She has Aldred, she has Trace, but these characters are kind of off doing their own things, and she didn't really have anybody to interact with. And so I'm you know, like, I, I'm, I'm writing her first couple of chapters, and I'm just like, man, this character is just like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this character. And then the idea for the woman in black came, and then I got all these more ideas, and then I started tying it into what I had already, and I'm just like, like wow, everything just sort of just fell into place immediately. And one of the biggest questions people have for me is who is the woman in black like like what is she it, is she like real or is she just a manifestation of her psychosis or like like what is she and of course i can't tell you because yeah. because you know <laughs> it, it will be revealed at some point deeper deep into the series you will That's... you will find out exactly the answer to that question it's so fascinating because without the setup, i think it's a wildly different book mm-hmm you know yeah and 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 you know like steve said you know it's it's a nice break from from the action for sure and and her chapters um well uh, especially in wrathbringer you'll find it's more suspense and horror driven Mm. um i did i did want to have her 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 chapters in hellborn king be be more of that and it kind of builds into that right because like the first couple of chapters like she's 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 seeing things out of the corner of her eye um and the woman in black isn't there yet um you know she she goes out and uh out on the town in cardale to explore and just and just see how how decadent it's become and everything and that's that's where i painted a lot of the world building in was through her early chapters but then once the woman in black appears then it starts getting more suspense horror thriller type um and that trend continues in wrathbringer and it's just going to get more and more and more intense as the series progresses any uh, any guesses, Chris, for the woman in black is? Haven't got a clue. I have to say, I'm one of those readers that is just very happy to have it presented to me at some later stage. I'm in, I'm in no rush other than, you know, the only real question in my head is, is it a manifestation or is it a person? You know, that's really the only mm-hmm. thing. I suspect it's much more interesting if it is a person or it is somebody that, that, was, that was around or otherwise, you know. Well, uh, reading Wrathbringer is going to frustrate you even more because it's <laughs> it's going to be like, what is this thing? Like, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just have in my head that the, certain people have been reading along, like Marilyn, etc. And Dom's Discord just keep on going. A bit of thing supporters, apart from I hate Lucetta even more right, after yeah. reading certain chapters, which is just you know makes you want to just pick it up and read it even more. Yeah, you know it's it, it's funny because one of my beta readers, his name is Chris. Uh, you know. He, he he is a he is a simp for Lucetta. He absolutely loves the character. It's his favorite character. And then I have I, I I have other friends who just love the character. And then there's other people that just cannot stand her. They just they wanted to die so bad. And I just I love it. I love the passion and I love the debate. I love uh, everybody's different viewpoints on the characters. I think uh, yeah. I'm wondering if the woman in black is part of the reason why the king is the way he is. If that's something that's been around pulling strings for a while in the family or trying to steer things oh. a certain direction. It's kind of what I had in my mind with it, but it's an interesting, interesting. theory, mm-hmm. but of course I can't, I can't comment on it. So. No, of course. No, <laughs> no, don't, don't tell me. Uh, Aaron said, man, almost killing Mad- Madeline and Lucetta. Glad you did a U-turn. Yeah, sure. yeah me too. I, I think the book would have been nothing near what, what it is. And I think the series as a whole would not be what it's going to be. If, if I had gotten rid of those two characters, yeah. That's yeah. cool. At, at what point did 
you insert in. Like, how many revisions do you do, Christopher, when you're going through? You've, you know, you're brought out and say you've got your big battle, you're filling your characters around it. it mm -hmm. Is it a case of we have a family, but we don't know what to do with them, and then just getting to a point and adding in, or kind of saying, oh, do I, I need to add something here? Um, oh, that that is a good question. Um, well, I try to do. I try to do the first draft telling telling as much of the story as I can. Mm -hmm. And then when I do my when I do my first read through, if, if something is lacking, absolutely I go back in and and, and add more. I, I would say I do maybe about let's see, there's my initial first draft, and then I do at least three rounds after that of just going through it. And I'll I'll set it aside for a couple of weeks and come back to it with fresh eyes and, and just be like, you know, this this just doesn't really work for me or you know this is good but i need to add more and then of course have, having beta readers to to give me feedback i mean uh chris who who read the book for me a friend of mine he he had so many good suggestions i mean book one and two would not be what they were if, if it wasn't for him and and just certain things he was, he's pointing out like hey you know i really like this but you know i, I just i i needed more i needed more right. or I think you want a little too much here. You know, and so just kind of getting that feedback really helped me, you know, just smooth it out and, and get it as polished as it could be. And kind of a follow-up to that, John had a question. Do you prefer editing or drafting, Christopher? Drafting for me is super easy and editing melts my brain, but I've heard there are monsters out there who feel the opposite. For me, it's the opposite. I am that <laughs> monster. <laughs> drafting for me is a little difficult because... I want to try to get it perfect on the first try and I know I can't, but you know, like, like I'm, I'm super critical of everything I'm doing. And so drafting, drafting is kind of a, a, a slog for me. Editing actually comes pretty quickly. I can, you'd be surprised how fast I can go through three or four rounds of editing. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Christopher. Yeah. Yeah. I am that guy. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy drafting more than editing, but just editing it's a lot faster. It's a lot less stressful. Yeah, there's a process to it. I suppose the same for well, sort of similar in the the making content thing that, that myself and Steve Steve do. In my head, the recording takes twenty times longer than the actual edit, and even though the reverse is true, I could spend four or five hours editing without a problem. On the twenty, twenty-five minutes, thirty minutes of recording a short video, absolutely kills me sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I just cannot, I cannot get in the headspace to get that bit done so that I can do the latter. Yeah, I mean, because you want it to be. Well, I mean, nothing's ever going to be perfect, but you want it to be as good as it can possibly be. Yeah. And you don't want to make an ass of yourself. And <laughs> like like me, me, I'm a little, little self-conscious about my writing because I don't I never want to disappoint anybody. So like whenever I get like a, a poor review or something like I, I feel like I let somebody down, you know, and so mm -hmm. what, what, so when I'm drafting, it, it's just like, man, you got to nail it. You got to nail it. Like it's got to be it's got to be perfect. And I know. And so that causes a lot of stress. And sometimes I, I like I'll literally just sit here like this, just staring at the tv going <laughs> i know what i need to write i just can't do it do because it, yeah. i'm like I've, I've psyched myself out now to where i can't just flow and be creative definitely should be a support group for that <laughs> <laughs> i should start a support group for me help me write yeah. <laughs> help me stop procrastinating you know and mm -hmm. just get get it done you know yeah yeah uh, well i mean i mean seeing how seeing how well the the series is done within the last month month and a half i mean that's the, that's really been the, the, the kick in the ass i needed because it's yeah. like 
momentum is starting to build now. You know, the book's been out since April 2021, and it's just now starting to get some really serious traction. It's like, man, I, I can't, I can't slack now. I got, I got to redouble my efforts and really get it done. So that's why I'm thinking of maybe dropping the prequel next because it's going to be novella length. Mm-hmm. But I feel it would be more appropriate after book three. So I'm kind of working on both of them at the same time. And depending on my mood that day, I'm like, well, you know, I really, I really want to do book three. So I'm working on that. And it's like, well, but I really feel like I need to get this prequel out there. And it's, you know, so, so that's kind of messing with me too. Uh, Aaron asks, was there, was going to ask what your desert Island re- book would be Christopher, but as you've said, you're not a big reader. What would be your one form of entertainment? Oof. Well, oh boy, one form of entertainment. Uh, I am a huge movie and music junkie. Um, but if I'm stuck on a desert island, it would have to be music. Um, so that's a whole other discussion because I have such a wide spectrum of music I listen to. But, um, oh God. Your, your desert island album. What would it be? Oh, why would you do that to me, Steve? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, boy. I mean, I, I like... I like a lot of neo-folk music. So if you don't know what that is, uh, bands like Wardruna, High Lung. Um, it, it's basically like old, like Norse type of tribal music, but like done with a modern touch. Um, I also like a lot of power metal, like Camelot's one of my favorite bands. Um, and then like I mood music I listen to, like Catatonia. So it's, if I had to choose like one band or one album, I would probably just, uh, I'd probably just, jump in the water and drown because i wouldn't be able to pick so <laughs> i just end it I, ca- I can't decide the decision making process would be uh too stressful to even consider going in the desert island that's right that's right <laughs> <laughs> and uh aaron also asks uh what would it be for, for you chris and steve I'd, you know no that's a tough one I don't know. Uh, I, th- I think the easy answer for me is to pick a TV series because I kind of have like a Mike Rushmore of TV series, so something like The West Wing or Friday Night Lights or something like that would be, you know, something extensive. You can make your way through multiple times and kind of get something out of it each time. Whereas music, like, it's just impossible. I think you've got to be kidding me. Uh, one of the best things about music is the fact it's variety. So the fact that you wouldn't have the variety would, uh, I think, hurt. It's a, it's power to do things. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I think if I had to pick one, that's a tough one. <laughs> you started off so confidently there, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I kind of had an answer. I kind of had an answer in mind after you mentioned West Wing. I was thinking something like uh, like Kirby Enthusiasm or mm-hmm. um, something like that, but or maybe Lost. I don't know. But Lost, there's some rough seasons in there. Uh, so nah, there I'm is. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Tough one. Sopra- Sopranos, maybe or. I don't know. I was going to say dark. I like dark, but there's only three seasons. That wouldn't keep me busy long that's enough. Right. Yeah, so Dark's actually good. hurts it. Oh, that's great. Uh, Jeremiah, so is the next book coming out in 2023? Is there, uh, <laughs> is there an expected month of release yet? That's a lot of pressure, man. <laughs> <laughs> if you could give uh, a day of the month as well, that would be great. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I mean, I would like for all the books to be fairly consistent in length. Um Melbourne King is 204,000 words. It's like 643 pages. Wrathbringer is just a little bit longer. Um, book three, I would like to kind of keep in that ballpark. Wrathbringer was actually supposed to be about 250,000 when I first started. And it just kept getting shorter, shorter, hmm. and shorter. Um, 
that took let's see hellborn king from concept to completion took a year wrathbringer took about a year and a half so maybe a year i i don't know it all depends on it all depends on how 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 easily book three comes to me and also depends on my work schedule too because i have a new job and it's it's going to be very demanding during the winter so my writing time may not be as uh, abundant as it was but I, i'm going to do my best to get it out and please don't quote me on this but maybe <laughs> late <laughs> maybe late 2023 or early 2024 unless i put the novella out first which could be you know spring summer i don't know all depends. I still don't know which one I want to put out first. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah says stuck on, a, on an island with Heilong. Uh, Is that Heilong? Yes, good choice. Hilong. Good choice. I, I've listened. It, it, it's interesting because uh, uh, certain characters I have I have certain like playlists. So like all the all the um, uh, like like uh, um, Einar, uh, all his music is like Borjuna Heilong. It's, it, it's all like the mm -hmm. neo folk right. stuff. Lucetta's a lot of black metal just because it's dark and it's brooding. And um, Gareth is more like sort of like upbeat um, medieval type of music. Like there's a lot of good like three hour long YouTube videos where it's just like medieval music, wow. you know, and I just listen to that or there, um, you know, so, so every character has a playlist pretty much. And, and I think that's another reason why I'm kind of struggling with book threes. It's like, I've already ran through my playlist so much. I have nothing new to listen to. <laughs> so I'm like going on my favorite bands, you know, Facebook pages and saying, when's the next album coming out? I need it. <laughs> <laughs> I needed to finish my book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John said, Steve lost would, would be the worst reminder that you're on a desert <laughs> Island. What are you doing to yourself? Yeah. But yeah. as Aaron mentions, it's meta. So it, it could relate to it. <laughs> Imagine if you found a hatch while you were on the desert island, though, and you were oh, the, the whole thing would just go off. Yeah, that'd be. That, I don't know. I'm not sure if that'd be good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, was there, if looking back on book one, was there anything that you would you would change, like any story element that you would change, or any death or a character that you kept alive that you thought maybe I should have killed that person? Um, I think story wise, everything is how I, how I like it. Um, I think just the actual nuts and bolts writing is what I would do differently. But I mean, that comes with experience. I mean, you're going to read Wrathbringer and it, it's going to feel like a much more polished, upgraded version of the Hellborn King. I mean, a uh, blaze from uh, um, under the radar SFF books, read it and said, it's 10 times as good as Hellborn King. Hmm. It blows it out of the water. Just, just because my, 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 my skill as a writer progressed such a great amount in such a, a short amount of time um but yeah i mean you know i'm i i've been tempted to go back into it and do you know like a second volume or a, a second edition of it but it's like you know what i kind of just want to leave it as it is and i think we talked about this uh last time i was on you know just just love it warts and all you know just yeah. just love it for what it is and and people can read that and just see where i started and then you know as the books progress and i get better at my craft you'll you know, you'll, you'll be along for the ride. So, I mean, there's nothing story-wise that I would change, but it's just sometimes the writing, I mean, sometimes I'll be flipping through it for reference to reference back on something. I'm just like, oh. <laughs> I could have done so much better, but it's like, you know, you got to get it out there at some point. And I could have sat here for, for 10 years and just kept mm. going over it again and again and again. But 
got to get it out there, you know? Yeah. I think that'd be a really weird thing that if it's accepted that the step up from book, book one to book two is great for so long, then you go back and do a second edition of book one again, people read that again, and then all of a sudden they're talking about, ah, it's a bit of a step down. Yeah. <laughs> what, would that, what would that do to you? Yeah, oh, God, <laughs> I, it just, I'd be losing a lot of sleep over that. <laughs> for sure. No. no, I like the idea of just leaving it as yes. what it is, and it's, yeah. it is, you know, that place in time. Exactly. Exactly. And Jeremiah says Wrathbringer was awesome. Awesome. Glad you liked it. Glad you liked. It. I, I I poured my heart and soul into that one, and I I feel I feel that that that's probably going to be the book to beat in the series. It's, um, it is a definite step up from Hellborn King. Just in, in terms of my ability to tell the story, it become you know like I, I had a couple of people say that yeah you know Hellborn King was good, but you could tell in a few areas it was a debut and. There were some teething issues that started out, you know, but mm. Wrathbringer, it like I, I've got it figured out, and 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 I'm bringing my A game, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it, especially the twists and turns and the cool things that happen in it, and um, you'll probably get through it a lot easier than Hellborn King because the chapters are, are are shorter, so I think I only have one chapter that gets into that like seven to ten thousand word range, but most of them mm. are like anywhere from three and a half to like five and a half, 6,000 words in length. And it really drives the pacing because there's there without giving it away too much spoiler alert, there's battles in my books. Um, <laughs> so there's a battle that happens in book two and there's sort of like this frantic pacing leading up to it. So I think, I think you guys will enjoy that by an order of magnitude over the Hellborn King. And I can't wait to get mm. back on here and, uh, and talk spoilers for book two with you guys. So That'd be good. yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm starting it starting after this. I've been, I've been waiting. It's been, sweet. Sweet. Been sitting on the, on the yeah. shelf waiting for me. So, well, you have to let me know what you think of the prologue too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> let me know if it hooks you the way the first one did. And with, with the battles and, and the violence and the, the, uh, you know, the fighting, was there ever a point where you thought, am I going too far with this? Did, you, did I ever give you pause and say, maybe I should tone this down a little bit, or maybe I shouldn't send severed heads? Or, um, so, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, as far as the graphicness of the violence, no. But um, when you're writing, you've got to walk a pretty fine line between writing too much and not enough. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I saw you had said, Steve, like it gets the book gets a little wordy in a couple of areas, but mm -hmm. then other people will say it's not wordy enough. No. So I, I think it all depends on sort of your 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 taste as a reader your preference yeah. so um especially with battles man it, it, it's so difficult to 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 keep to keep it fresh to keep the action moving and you're just not repeating the same thing over and over again not describing the same the same sword swing or the same charge over and over again so that's that's that can get a little tricky sometimes hmm. more reasons that could be an offer author yeah. <laughs> Yeah, combat. I I did enjoy the combat a lot. A lot of the mm -hmm. a, a lot of authors write combat, and even though it's good, it just it goes on too long, and then it just yeah. mm -hmm. there's pages and pages of it. And it's like I, I don't care. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I, I enjoy the combat. I start skimming and scanning. At that point, you kind of go right. Okay, we've got more butchering, kicking of heads, chasing mm -hmm. groups, setting on. Just kind of go through until you get the moment. But I, I didn't. That didn't happen in this book at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, I cut my teeth on writing um, in um, competitive, free-form, browser-based role-play. Good luck saying that three times fast. <laughs> uh, so, so, so there's this one site um, where, you know, 
you sign up. It's it, it's it's basically just all all role play. Like you create your mm-hmm. own nation, you create your own characters and, and culture and all this stuff. And sometimes on the forums, you would get into wars with and battles with other people, and you would have to competitively, but also kind of cooperatively, fight these battles out. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of brought that experience into the writing. Except I'm not I'm not role playing against another person. I'm trying to do it within the context of a story here. So that's why I think I think my battles kind of drive the way they do and they don't get stale because I'm kind of bringing that like competitive, like, all right, I'm going to do this and that. And then here's the response. And then here's the response to that. And it just it just goes. And then like like the battles are usually. Uh, well, let's see, there's three in Hellborn King. There's a couple in Wrathbringer. They go quick. I mean, could, could I have dragged them out for like half the book? Sure. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to keep the pacing going and keep the action, you know, flowing and keep it keep it exciting to read hmm. yeah thanks for for keeping it short into this short and sweet <laughs> tried to Espe- tried to especially the battle for the castle where they kind of did it in two stages they kind of threw the bodies at it to show that that was falling then they went back mm-hmm. and said right let's do it properly and then the battle was again very quick because mm-hmm. they had prepared effectively mm-hmm. yeah and and i tried to it's very tough because I tried to I tried to write this long epic fantasy with all this depth, and I tried to do it as concisely as possible. So, from the time of that first battle when the Zilmacians are charging the walls and they get beaten back to when they're ready to attack it again, there's there's weeks and weeks that go by, yeah. and, and and trying to mm-hmm. trying to describe that and lay that out without it getting too confusing that that can be tricky too, you know, to because mm-hmm. the book starts out it, it starts out like late spring early summer i'd say early summer and then by the time it ends it's getting into like late summer fall yeah. so try trying to keep that sense of time like where you are and, and not get not get everything jumbled up like wait a minute he just said it was like 95 degrees but now it's like it like there's snow flying like like, like what the hell happened so trying to keep all that straight is can can be a process especially when you have seven care seven povs and they're all in different places and doing different things you know and then john commented bells are a weakness of authors both trad and indie because so many people have very different time difficult time not outlining every single motion movement or repeating descriptions yeah absolutely and uh one of the things that i learned from writing uh hellborn king was and, and, and this is some advice for all the indie authors out there or people who are just starting out. Trust your reader. You don't have to over-describe yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. You can tr- just just trust them. Just, just describe what you need to get out there. You can imply some things, but you don't have to go into just crushing, grueling detail on every little thing. And that's something I, I kind of learned the, uh, along the way because with Hellborn King, I didn't, I didn't trust my reader enough. You know, with with Wrathbringer, I trust my reader. I'm confident in it, and it's. I think it's going to show. Nice. And Jeremiah, wow, that website was basically uh, his writer's workshop. <laughs> that sounds like really like kind of. It kind of sounds fun. The you know, competitive and cooperatively writing things like that. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it was a blast. I did it for like ten years, twelve years. Oh wow. Yeah. Cool. And John is a fan of your shirt, Christopher. Yeah, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta shamelessly plug. <laughs> I gotta represent the brand. So, <laughs> nice. and I, I do have a prediction before uh, before we wrap up, but I think yeah. Damien made a mistake with letting um, Madeline live because Damien 
created the next Damien. Um, that's my prediction. I think I think that's what he. I think he knew that was going to happen, though. I think that was, or that he's trying to pre- prevent, if you know what I mean, by doing what he did there in some way. Well, see, see, he was kind of stuck in a known situation yeah, because the, the prophecy the crone said is, if you let her live, you're doomed. But if you kill her, then you're going to be cursed. So and he's like, well, great. I, this is a lose lose situation. But what do I do? So it's like, I'll let her live, but I'll try to make sure that she can never raise up arms against me again. Yeah. You know, it's basically so that she's just a broken husk of a human being for the rest of her life. And then he thought, hey, that this is like the perfect middle ground. You know, I, you know, and so, and then, but, you know, what, what happened ended up happening. Yeah, that always makes me think that though, a bit like you're saying, Steve, that by doing what he did there is what letting her live and her coming back, destroying is, is actually what it, what caused it rather than just kind of if he let her walk away, then maybe it wouldn't have happened. You know, it's it's very much his actions were preordained by prophecy. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, see if I'm right. Yeah, <laughs> we will. We will see. We will see. I think he's underestimating. Uh, I think he's starting to. I think Damien felt like he, he's underestimating Madeline, but also he's getting a little too confident. Well, not too confident, yeah. but he's. You know they've been on this this war path and they've been getting some some uh, victories under their belts and so maybe he didn't. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then and then the part where uh, and, and I've had a couple of readers comment on this like, well, that that's kind of crazy. Like, why'd you have him do that? Like when 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 he tried to get Madeline to be his queen. So mm-hmm. that so that 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 was not a proposal of like love or anything. It, it was she's she's the last of this this bloodline this like sacred bloodline that was the, the, the chieftains of this, you know, the Korish people, they're basically like, you know, the, the early settlers of the continent, you know, the, um, like the proto blank, the proto Batantheans, the proto, all the tribes, you know, like, like they were the first ones to come to Kaldakis. So, um, and the Evaldanir were, were, were their spiritual leaders. They were the tribal leaders, the war leaders. And, and, through through the visions of Lazaleth and her prognostication, you know, it's it's like, well, Madeline is the last of this line, and Damien's like, okay, well, that's a really powerful tool, not only for for you know the 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 blood magic that she has in her that, that he suspects is in her, but you know, propaganda. Hey, you know, here here's the commander of the Blackthorn Knights, Batanthea's uh, uh, border guards, this this prominent military order. She she flips sides and now she's with us. I mean, so mm-hmm. so he sees all these positives mm-hmm. of of bringing her in and, and making her part of the part of the war band, but obviously because of his of his cruelty and and you know killing Corbin and 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 you know everybody else, Madeline's just like no way in the hell am I going to do that? You, you're crazy. So even in the face of death, when she probably should have done that to save her to save her ass. She yeah. probably should have just accepted the offer and then just, you know, maybe plan an escape later. But because she was just, she she just could not get over what happened. And and rightfully so. I mean, it was a massacre. She decided, you know what, you can take your offer and and and, and stick it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And then he, he, you know, Damien's like, well, great. Now what do I do? Can't let her live. I can't kill her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah said, Damien really did not try to persuade Madeline. Three days among his people didn't seem enough. I think that is his hubris. That's that. That's exactly what he, what it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it was, it was, you know, I mean, well, 
part of it was is that they had they, they had to get on the move too because winter because winter yeah. was coming winter is coming but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they had to get on the move and you know he's like you know you need to make this decision you're not going to have all the time in the world here's the deadline give me your answer and you know Marvath uh bone splitter who who's a character some people talk about because he's he's kind of one of those noble savages as well he did a pretty good job of saying hey you know we're, we're not all you know just mindless murders like you it's think we are and then he helped her you know through um sort of like an ayahuasca type concoction you know commune with her ancestors and mm. he you know he thought you know that would be enough convincing for her to sign up you know and, and accept damien's offer but but it wasn't. And Damien thinking, you know, like, well, I, I, I am, I am the destroyer of Batanthia. I am, I am this, this mighty, unstoppable being. Who are you? Who are you to turn me down? So yeah, I'll, yeah, I, I would chalk that up to hubris. So yeah, it was a good observation. Yeah. I'm glad Corbin died. Um, it made sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you didn't. Spare him. Not, not that I didn't like him. Just it just made sense. Like. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it just made sense. Um. I wanted I wanted Madeline to to have a love life, but I, I wanted it to be kind of secret. Like she doesn't want it to get in the way of her her advancement through the order. Even, even though people are, are kind of whispering behind her back, oh, you know, she's just kind of sleeping her way to the top, and she's this and she's, you know, she's really not. You know, she 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 does have this this lover who who's a, who's another high ranking knight that she fell in love with, but it's very much under the table. It's very much, you know, don't show any affection in public. Just, just one of those things. Mm-hmm. See how that works out. I'm looking forward to it. I've been dying to start this. <laughs> I've been waiting and waiting to, to have this conversation. So anyone who uh, is wants to join us for the next one, it is on the 19th of November, same time. So anyone's welcome to join. Just check out the calendar on the forum and let us know if you want to join us. And We'll uh, be picking picking Christopher's brain more about the next book. Indeed. See how that works out. Uh, no, I can't a, wait. You... I can't wait, guys. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to the next dis- the the next discussion. Nice. And Chris, did you have any other questions before we wrap up? Not at all. Just looking forward to reading the next one, as as has been said, and uh, delving back into that world because there was a few mm-hmm. about, about a month ago since I finished as well. So. It's, mm-hmm. uh, I'm always very wary of God. I'll forget every character's name. I'll, you know everything that happened, and I actually, I actually reread Madeline's final chapter, just chapter because then I kind of was going through the comments, people saying how gruesome it was. I don't remember it being gruesome, so I did go back and reread it. I was like, no, it wasn't. It was very much half a page of you know, kind of, and then fade the black sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I uh, want to mention this too. The the final scene is a perfect roll credits, cue the music scene on the, the last page. Is like it's gonna yeah. be a per- if it's ever adapted, it's gonna be perfect. I I love writing tavern scenes. They are my favorite. I I can never have enough of them. And I, I kind of wanted to end on that note where it's it's not a POV character that was in the book. So you know, it's this guy. He's out. He's out in in no man's land, basically. Hmm. He has a tavern. He's just trying to support a family in this little backwater, you know, merchant town or whatever. And then in in stumbles Titan with this grim warning. And then, you know, just boom, roll credits. It's just, you know, I I, I thought it kind of ended on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, I I think it was enough to just sink one last little hook in you and get you excited about the next book. 
It was very mammoth, no name, kind of westerny kind of. I felt the the end of it, you know, they walk in and then he walks out, etc. You know, mm -hmm. it's cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. So, well, thank you, Christopher, for coming by and letting us uh, <laughs> let us talk all, all about the book and your process and your plans and sending severed heads to your enemies and all that fun stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, man, it was, it was great coming back, and I uh, I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to come back and talk book two with you guys. Really yeah. looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. That'd be cool. Uh, so, Chris, uh, where can people find you on YouTube or Twitter, or where's the best place? Find me on uh, YouTube, but oh. oh. Sorry, this was, Chris, too, was many, it? too many crosses. Too many crosses. <laughs> Damn. Go for it, Chris. Right. Okay. But my, my YouTube name is Chris Mullen, M O H A N, and at seven o'clock shadow on Twitter when I occasionally post on either. Yeah. And Mr. Brenning. <laughs> Mr. Brenning. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter's the best place to find me at Chris G. Brenning. You can also check out my uh, website, which I tend to neglect, uh, neglect more often than not christophergbrenning.com i'm also on facebook and youtube but i don't really do anything there but twitter's the best way to find me nice so again it'll be november uh, 19th at 7 p.m eastern center time six central five mountain and four pacific i can't help chris uh, you might top uh, chris on top you might be able to help us with other time zones, but other than that, I get lost oh, with. Uh, yeah, I'd have to. I'd have to. When I retweet, I'll just stick uh, European time zones in there. Probably is a good way to do it going forward. Yeah. Uh, time zones are my arch nemesis for sure. <laughs> They're always sending severed heads to me all the time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> is that going to be a thing now? Like with John, like killing animals is his thing. You know? I, I think so. I think that might. Yeah, I think it might be. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I might have to have more severed heads in book three then. So. Yeah. <laughs> and the more severed heads, the better. Yes. <laughs> and I just want to say thanks to everyone in the chat who came by to yeah. interact with us. Had some really great questions and comments. Really appreciate you guys hanging out with us and uh, talking with us about the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay. All right. Thanks again, everyone. Thanks again for, to both Chris's. Thanks for, for hanging out and for chatting with us. So we'll see you guys. We'll see everyone soon. Take care. Have a good night, guys. See you next time. Okay.